Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So we're doing Judges 9. Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, went to his mother's, bro- mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clans, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you? To have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baalbereth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels, who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on, on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. But Jotham, the son, youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. After Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God stepped, set up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged um, on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush uh, and rob everyone who passed by and was reported by Abimelech. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gar, son of Ebed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the citizen gate, just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gar saw them, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. Zebel replied, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gar spoke up again, Look, people are coming down from the central hill, and a company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebel said to him, where is your big talk now? Who you, who you said, you who said, who is Abimelech that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gaal led out, led out the citizens of Shechem and found, fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Aruma and Zebul drove Gaal and his clan out of Shechem. The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies, set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. Then two companies attacked those in the fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens in the lower... Lower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elbereth. When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up to Mount Zalman. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, Quick, do what you've been like you've seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire, with the people still inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, above about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to the Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city, had fled. 
They'd locked themselves in and climbed up on the lower roof. I'm sorry, on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull, which really hurt. Um, Hurriedly, he called for his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me, so they they can't say, a woman killed me. So his servant ran through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. Awesome. Thanks a million, Craig. Um, listen, I'm going to invite Sean up. Sean is, uh, is going to share a message with us today. Sean's part of our advisory team here at Christ City Church. And uh, Sean, can I just pray with you before sure. we begin? Um, Jesus, I, I pray you would begin to prepare our, our hearts and our minds for what Sean's going to bring. I pray you give him the grace to say what you want to say. And uh, may everything that is off you um, come and absolutely penetrate our hearts. And then whatever's not of you, uh, may we not even hear it. May we forget it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. Afternoon. Uh, it's nice to be with you. Apologies for that passage. You can see that um, I, I cut large chunks of it out as well to make it a little bit shorter for you. Um, I didn't pick it. I got given it. Um, but uh, there you go. I've, I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones, but I, I get the impression that some of the judges would kind of fit right in there. Yeah, would it be uh, that sort of, uh, that kind of story going on? So as Matthew said, uh, I'm Sean. I've been here a couple of times before. I know some of you, uh, some of you will have met my wife, Anna, who spoke here, I think, about three weeks ago. Um, we live in, in Dublin, in, uh, in Smithfield, uh, and uh, we've got three adult children and a couple of grandchildren. And uh, we've been friends with Steve and Leanne basically since they moved over here. Actually, since before they moved over here, they were in touch with us. Uh, when they were thinking about moving over here. So it's, it's lovely to see the, the, the journey that uh, they have been on and that you have been on. And uh, I just want to uh, hopefully bring something that will encourage you and, and help you on that journey. Could I just ask, this is not me checking up on your performance now, how many of you are around for the, for the sermons about Gideon? Because it kind of gives a context. Okay. Right. Oh, good. A few of you. Okay, good few. Because it's connected. That's why I'm asking. So, um, in case you you didn't know, Jeroboam, who's uh, referred to at the start of this, um, is Gideon, the same guy. So, this guy that we're talking about, Abimelech, is Gideon's uh, son. But that didn't make him particularly special because, as you see in the text, he had 70 other uh, children as well. So, he was... uh, any. And it was more complicated by the fact that they didn't all have the same mother. We don't know how many uh, wives he had, but he had a lot. And um, when you've got a lot of wives, who needs a girlfriend? But he had a girlfriend as well. And Abimelech is the child of his girlfriend, and he's from another town. So, what I, what I, uh, they were asking me for a title the other day and a theme for it, and I said to them, well, as soon as I've worked out <laughs> what it is, I'll let you know. So I gave the title, Not in Charge, and I think that that's probably um, a, a good title, although since then I came up with another one as well. 
how Gideon got it wrong. So if you were here for the lessons on Gideon, then you would have learned probably some of the things that he, that he got right as he went along and his, how his understanding of uh, God and his work in that, among that people at that time, how God worked. He learned a lot about that. He learned about it not necessarily needing a lot of people, uh, on his side to be successful. He learned about being able to trust God when all the circumstances around about him said he'd be crazy to trust God, but he did, he did learn that. But towards the end of his life, he got things seriously wrong. And what we're looking at really, that story that was read today, is really the outcome of Gideon's uh, wrongdoing or his mistakes. So what he... Uh, what he did, what, what he, he learned was about moving from fear to uh, victory. Um, and then he moved from victory from having uh, conquered the Midianites and having got to a place where, where he was uh, comfortable and uh, life was under control and he was in, in charge, so to speak. He moved from that to uh, real failure towards the end of his life. And the causes of its failure were, are something that, you know, we would not be familiar with today in terms of people failing. Uh, money, sex, and power. I know they're not issues anymore, but they were back then. You know, they were, they were a, a, a really big thing. Uh, I mentioned his, uh, the number of wives he had and his, his girlfriend as well. Um, the money came when, when they came and tried to make Gideon uh, king, and he refused that, and he said, no, you have a king, God's your king. But then he asked them for a contribution of gold so that he could have some wealth of his own. And they brought him a lot of gold. You can read the little backstory there. But he ends up with a lot of gold, and he uses that to create his own system of worship where people come, effectively come through him to connect with God. He becomes the man that everybody looks to in order that they might be in relationship with God. There's where the, the seed is sown. There's where the mistake begins. And he fathers this child in a place called Shechem, which uh, kind of stands out in the story of the, the, the Old Testament. We'll come back to that in, in a moment. So at the beginning of the story, the, our story today, you've got Abimelech who lives in Shechem and who uh, basically wants to have the power or the control that his, uh, his father had, but he's got 70 rivals uh, for that job, if you like. Uh, imagine going for an interview and meeting 70 other people in the, in the waiting room for the, uh, for the job. So that's effectively what happens here. So he solves the problem by killing the rest of them. And uh, except one who he, it's not that he spared him, that, that, that he escaped. And he thinks that that's, that's his problem solved, that therefore he can, uh, he can do what he likes. But at the end of it, at the end of it, Shechem is destroyed, a place with a history that goes back to the time of Abraham. And Abimelech's uh, legacy, his main concern about his legacy is that it wouldn't be recorded that he was killed by a woman. 
And so when he gets hit by the millstone that comes down and is dropped on his head by a woman, he asked his servant to kill him with a sword so that they wouldn't be able to say that he was killed by a woman. So from, in one generation, Israel has moved from, being, from having a leader who with a couple of hundred men was able to defeat this mighty army that was so much greater than they were. They've moved from that to, would you please kill me so they won't say I was killed by a woman. That's how far they've moved. They've moved from having the place where Abraham set up the first altar to God after he had moved from Ur, from what we now call, uh, no, we don't call it Babylon, now we call it Iraq, um, over into Canaan. The first place that he arrived where he built the first altar to Yahweh in that land. Um, and the place where, the same place where after he had led the people of Israel over the Jordan, they built an altar in that place as well. That place is now destroyed by Abimelech. This, this is what's happened. So, what are the lessons for us? What can we take away from that today in 21st century Ireland? Uh, what can we learn from that? Not in charge. If you remember nothing else, remember that. I suggested in a message a few years back, and I, I had it myself for a number of years, that, that um, we would all of us write on our mirrors, wherever we see ourselves for the first time in the mornings, NG. You know what NG stands for? Not God. Not God. So every time we look in the mirror in the beginning of the day, we remind ourselves that we're not in charge, that we are not God. And that was Gideon's big mistake. He, he figured that after all the victories and all the, the successes that he'd had, that he'd done, that he'd reached a stage where he'd got the whole thing cracked. He'd got the system cracked. He knew how it worked. And if we're honest, all of us, I think, maybe it's just me, most of us dream of reaching a stage where we're able to go, God, it's us now. I've got the secret. I've got it cracked. I know how the system works. I've worked it out, and we're cruising. You know, we're just going along nicely. Most of us think that that's kind of uh, a place where we need to be in life or where we want to be in life. A system, a technique, a secret, uh, a way of uh, being able to shape and control things so that things turn out the way we want them to, or the way we hope they will. And the lesson that we receive from Gideon and from his son, uh, Abimelech, is that we're never in charge. There is no system, there is no secret, there is no way that we can end up uh, being able to say, this is it now, it's sorted, it's sussed. Because life as a Jesus follower is ultimately always about relationship. And relationship is ongoing. How many of you are drivers? Most of you. How many days do you need to drive safely when you go driving? Like, I've been driving for uh, 40 years. And so I've, most of the days I've driven, I've driven safely. So surely now and again, you get to have a day off safe driving, you know, and just 
cut loose, speed limits don't matter, you know. I mean, all those days, all those years of days when I've driven well, um, surely I get one day where, where it doesn't matter. But we know that that's not the case, don't we? That no matter how well you've driven, the vital thing is that you drive well today. Some of you are married or in long-term relationships. You know, if you're faithful to your spouse most of the time, like, you know, for five years, then what about one day where you're not, you know? That shouldn't make a big difference, should it? But of course, we know that that, that that ruins everything. One day of unfaithfulness undoes everything that, that, that went before it. Just like one day of crazy driving undoes all those days when, when we drove really safely. See, there is no system that says, okay, I've earned my spurs here. This is it. I've done really well. Now I can cut loose and do what I like. That's not how life works. That's not how relationships with God works. That's not how any relationship work, works, actually. So that, that dream that we have of, of somehow being able to be in charge and to control everything, to make life work the way we want it to, it is exactly that. It's just a dream, an illusion. It's not a reality. We can let it go. We can leave it behind. I know we're constantly being offered techniques or solutions to all kinds of problems. We get it in the face every, uh, every day. Technology is offering us all kinds of solutions to all sorts of yeah, we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and I'm, I know that all of you are far, probably far more techy than I am, but we do think, oh, this is great, this is great, and did you see this app, and you can do this, and you can do that, and all the other things. And some of it is great, so long as it's kept in its place. So long as it, we are reminded constantly that we're not in charge, and this doesn't put us in charge, this little box that we've got in our hands does not put us in charge. Just this afternoon, I was walking. There was a, a street festival on in Stony Batter where we were. We were walking down. And uh, I, I was just saying to Anna, um, it's amazing how when, when folk are uh, on their phone, they, they don't see people around about them, you know? So they're, they're, they're walking along like that, and they will literally walk through you <laughs> uh, because they're, they're just so absorbed in that world. They get, get into it. And that's the kind of thing that technology does to us. It puts us in a place where we think, okay, this is the only thing that matters here. What's going on here in front of me is all that matters. That's it. And that's the lie. Another way we have of doing it is, is uh, putting ourselves in charge by, by forming around us a tribe of people who basically think the same as we think. You know, we can do it uh, on the internet, we can do it through technology, or we can do it in reality. We can do it in church. You know, let's surround ourselves with people who think the same way that we think, who do the same kind of things that we do, and then we know that we're right and we're in charge. 
And sometimes we go out in the street and we encounter other people who think differently and who act differently and don't uh, do things the way we like them to be done. Um, and we find that hard to cope with. And so the temptation is to withdraw more and more from that uh, and just stay within the safe zone. I live in the city. I work in the city. And one of the things I love about that is that I'm reminded several times, many times every day, that I'm not in charge. I should be, you know. I am highly qualified. I know so much. I know exactly how a city should be run. If everyone would just listen to me, Dublin would be so different. But they don't. I'm, I'm joking, by the way, okay? <laughs> They don't. And the city reminds me that I'm not in charge. And the, the whole theme of this story of Abimelech is to say, I mean, if someone at some stage had stepped into Abimelech and said, hey, you're not in charge. You're not meant to be in charge. The road that you're setting out on now is one that will be to your own destruction and to the destruction of so many of the people around about you as well. The people of your own hometown. The, the, the scoundrels that you, you uh, recruited as your uh, henchmen to, to work with you. Step back from it all. There is no substitute for relationship. That's why Jesus says in that passage that Matthew read at the beginning, seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not a thing. It's not a system it's not something that, that you can kind of get a hold of and say, okay, I've got this. It's not some super-duper technology. The kingdom of God is God in action. It's God at work. And so what Jesus is saying is, every day, seek what God is doing and work out what's your part in that. What part do you have to play in it? And settle into that and relax into it, and let go of the things that you're not in control of and that you're not meant to be in control of, and work on the things that God wants to work on with you. Let him show you what the agenda is, and seek to, to follow him in that. And it's, if that's true of our relationship with God, it's also true of our relationship with each other. So many of our struggles, so many of our difficulties, I've been married for 35 years, I've learned a lot, and my wife still hasn't realized that if she would only realize that I'm right, then everything will be fine. And I haven't learned that about her either. Because relationships mean every day engaging with someone else who is different, who thinks differently, who acts differently to us, and working it out so that we can go forward together. That's what marriage is, and that's what, other, that's what friendship is, that's what family is, that's what, all, that's what collaboration is, that's what working together in business is. All of those areas where we have relationships, they're all saying the same thing to us over and over again. It's all about relationships. So Jesus says, when he's asked, Okay, give us the key. What's the, what's the secret? What's the most important command of all? What is it? 
And he says, it's relationships. He doesn't say exactly like that, but he, you know what he says? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, it's all about relationships. You're not in charge. I don't know what the right way would have been to solve the leadership issue uh, created by Gideon's death when there was 70 or 71 who could claim title to it. But I know the way that Abimelech did it was not the right way. And somehow, uh, if it could have gone back to relationships, it could all have worked out very differently. So there you go. Abimelech, not the most inspirational story in the Bible by any means. Don't ever mark him down as your hero. Don't teach the children in Sunday school to be like Abimelech. But a a worthwhile story to remind us of what happens when we think that it's okay for us to be in charge of our own lives and the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, the Bible only has one hero. And he is one who came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. We thank you that, that he, though he existed in eternity before time, and knew what it was to have power and authority, that he was able to say and mean, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. I thank you that he said that with such freedom and such joy. And there is for us too a life of great freedom and joy in knowing that we are not in charge and that in Jesus we are invited in to this relationship of collaboration with our heavenly king who is in charge and who is the only one who should be. I pray that tomorrow morning we will be able to remember these things as we set out into a world of competing kingdoms and people who long to have it all sussed and sorted. And I pray that we might live in that world in relationship with you and in relationship with each other and love it. Amen. Mm -hmm.